What is one simple step people can do to reach their neighbors for Christ? Caesar Kalinowski is our guest this week discussing why he believes churches must become more missional. It's all on episode 52 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Thanks for tuning in to episode 52 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host, and this week our guest is Caesar Kalinowski. Caesar is one of the founding leaders of the SOMA communities and currently serves as the director of the GCM Collective, an organization that helps catalyze missional community multiplication across North America and around the world. He's a spiritual entrepreneur, an avid storyteller, and his background includes communications for Fortune 500 companies, media production, working with youth, and extensive travel in international missions. And now, here's our conversation with Caesar Kalinowski. Caesar, it is great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being with us. Brian, it's good to be with you. Been looking forward to this. Yeah, same here. And I know that you have recently been in a motorcycle accident. So I wanted to check in with you to see how you're doing and what's going on with that. Well, th- well thanks for bringing that up. Most painful. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it was a crazy thing. You know, they, I've been riding since I was a kid, literally. And uh, they say it's not a matter of if you'll crash if you ride consistently. It's a matter of when, you know. And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting to be an old buck. But uh, yeah, I was I was in Austin with uh, my buddy Brandon Hatmaker, and we'd done some work, and we had a little time to finish up. And we said, let's go ride, and we're going 25 miles per hour. And I just yeah, kind of couldn't make a turn on a big switchback, and kind of went up and over the other side and down where you're not supposed to ride, and didn't go good. So I broke a bunch of stuff. But I, I tell you, people over the world have been praying literally, and. I am so mended already, you know, a few weeks out, I'm like gold. I'm just, I'm on crutches because my foot got kind of, my ankle got kind of jacked up, but uh, wow. I don't have any pain and I'm just waiting for the doctor to say, yeah, you can use it again. <laughs> so I, I'm just kind of crutching around. I'm just kind of crutching around and grateful. I'm super grateful. Could have been a whole lot worse or, or I could be in lots of pain because I broke ribs and vertebrae and lungs and all, but I have no pain. I'm gold. So Wow. That is amazing. Yeah. I know when I saw that on your blog, I thought, oh my goodness, is he even going to be ready to do a podcast? Is that, you know what I mean? And to see you here looking healthy, I think that's, uh, that's I've already amazing. been back on the road. I was in Chicago last weekend. Uh, well, St. Patty's Day, I did a little uh, theology on tap with a, with a great church community down in the south end of Chicago. And uh, so that was my first foray back onto the road. Man, oh man, is everything slower <laughs> with one leg. My poor wife. <laughs> but slow is fast, right? That's your book. That's it, man. That's it. <laughs> so, hey, let me let me start out. I think a lot of our audience will be familiar with you and familiar with missional communities and uh, and your work. But there'll be some that um, you're going to be a new name to them, and some that are kind of still seeing the the missional kind of content and story and drive out there, but still need to, to have a little info. So, if you could give us a quick background about like what the what and the why behind missional communities, that would be awesome. Well, I'll answer that by giving a little bit of my story to kind of give a context, and I think it'll place it'll place my understanding of missional missional community life uh, within that story. Cool. Okay. So, so I grew up going to church pretty much my whole life. Said the Jesus in my heart prayer a million times. Um, sort of backslid out of all of it at eighteen when I moved out of the house, and for a bunch of years just kind of lived a rock and roll lifestyle. I was a musician playing, you know, in, in bands and for a living and all that. Um, then. After I'd gotten married and had a son, God really got a hold of my life and pulled me back into like, like every day we were just involved in life of the church in this really small community that was great and people who actually discipled us. And um, 
Um, and then I'll jump way ahead, okay? So I've been leading all these businesses. I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur and been leading all these businesses. And at 40, at the age of 40, uh, so like 14 years ago, I get the call to ministry. <laughs> like oh, wow. almost audibly, God says, I want you to be a pastor now. And I was like, okay, that's crazy, you know? And I wrestled with it and all, but within 90 days, he had sorted it out where I was able to get this giant severance from my company that was now part of this other larger company and I still own my shares and I was free as a bird. Now that was awesome except I wasn't a pastor, you know. <laughs> and but through God's, you know, doing what he calls you to do. He always provides what he calls. I ended up uh, on staff at this very large church in the Chicago area that we had been a part of for 9 years already and I ended up on the pastoral staff. It was kind of crazy. Wow. And um and I was the luckiest boy in the world. I was like I can't believe I get to do this. Now I'd already been super involved in international ministry and missions. Um, and I was learning to pastor locally. And, um, but I was, I also, they also, after a little while, made me the, their international missions pastor. So that was part of my role. Okay. And so what I started experiencing, though, is that when we were out in the field, and I was doing some pretty heavy stuff, we were in war zones in Sudan and in Burma and Thailand and, and different things going on, a lot of natural disasters where there was persecution of the church. What I started experiencing in the field was that, the church was the church, like their identity was the church. They didn't own any buildings, they barely had clothes, they had no resources, like the word nothing, no thing, things, you know. And when we were with them, we were the church. And we just, we were doing the kingdom work. And it was beautiful, and it was glorious, and it was hard, and you went to bed tired, but it was amazing. And then we'd come home, and it was like we were putting on church, is how it felt. Hmm. Now it was a great, it is a great church, it's still a wonderful church, and lots of people coming to faith and growing, and, and it's great, but it felt so different. It's like one was like we went to the church building, and the other one was we were the church, right? That's how it started feeling. Wow. And I was reading the book of Acts, and, and, and so we started wondering, can't we just live the way we live when we're out in the field? And, and anybody who's done short-term missions can probably relate to that, you know? Like you go, and it's, it's tough, and you fight, and you forgive, and you go to bed tired, and you come home after a week or two. And you're just like, that was amazing. I wish we could experience that life and that sense of God's calling, blessing, affirming, usefulness in the kingdom every day. And I just started to ask, well, why not? Why don't we get to? Do we get to? And the book of Acts shows that you do, right? And so in 2004, um, you know, after being on staff for a few years at that, that large church, our home church, uh, we just really felt very clearly that God was calling us to live that way. And my friend um, Jeff Vanderstelt and him and his wife Janie, they were very yeah. close friends of ours. We had been on staff at the same church, and uh, they had since moved out to Seattle area. And they, we had the same kind of ideas of what would it look like. Now, this word missional was just new, right? But for us, it meant like what if we lived like missionaries sent to a foreign land in the States in our own neighborhood? We trusted God for our provision. We tried to bless people. We ate lots of meals with people. We tried to tell them the story of God and teach them the word, call them to walk in Jesus' ways. What would that look like? Could we, could we survive? Could we eat? <laughs> would we make any disciples? Would people think we were a cult? And you know what? Yes, and all of that happened. Wow. <laughs> and so for us, what the term missional became is an understanding of what is the mission of God. And I believe it's only and always has been to make disciples who make disciples. And so to be a missional community or to be a missional church or a missional people is to be a people that they have their lives radically reoriented around the mission of making disciples. It's not a bolt-on. It's not a program. It's not an add-on. It's not a nine-week course. It's I see myself, my identity as uh, God's family of missionaries. I see myself as part of that. And the mission of us missionaries 
is to make disciples. And so our life is radically oriented around that. The seeking of the lost, seeing who God's called to us, people of peace, and then looking to make disciples of them. Now, here's a polemic, okay? That's kind of over and against some of what I had traditionally learned and taught as a pastor, that yes. the mission of the church was to get lots of people there, get them to believe in God and get saved, and then maybe disciple them later, right? That's different. Yeah. <laughs> of course, different. we want everyone saved. That's God's hope and plan for the world. But so that what? That they would walk in Jesus' ways, become more like him, and fill the world with his glory, who is the glory of the Father. And, and so it's so much simpler, but it's so much bigger, right? So our understanding of missional is the people that are choosing to live in context with one another and making disciples within a people group, <laughs> their neighbors, their friends, whatever, right? And uh, that's what's truly missional. That's, no, that's a great explanation. I appreciate that. And one little side note. When Jeff Vanderstelt left the church you were discussing, we had him speak at a youth event. I was a youth pastor for many years. And I remember sitting with him at some pizza place and he, all these youth pastors around him, he was drawing out on a napkin all the plans, I think, for the missional community he was doing. And back then it was like, this is amazing. What? Like, what is going on? What are you talking yeah. about? And it, it's amazing we, to see that. Everybody the, thought the we were nuts back in 2004. You know, we're leaving salaried positions and yeah. benefits. And, but it was like, we just, I know for me and my family, I know Jeff and Janie felt the same way. We felt like we would rather live an authentic sort of acts, you know, lifestyle with a handful than maybe not ever make disciples and just really kind of entertain the masses on the weekends yeah. and then try to talk them into living like Jesus. And what we found is that people that come to faith through a life of and a community of service and life on life and meals and everyone feeling and being treated like their family, people who come to faith that way, they're a very different type of Christian, quote unquote. Yeah. I've I'm not saying positionally in Christ or anything. I don't want to. I don't want a bunch of emails. People trying to, you know. Yeah, no, I'm just saying. Totally. Yeah. What, what they think it means, though, to be in Christ and be a follower of His, is to be in His family, doing the family business, which is making more disciples. That's yeah. that's their assumption, and that might be very different than some of the assumptions that people have if they come to faith through programming or I, I'm trying to get a get out of hell ticket, or yeah. my wife left me and I feel like a dirtbag, so I got to do something, so I'll start going to church, you know, or whatever, you know. And uh, God uses all kinds of stuff to draw us to himself. But sure. I do believe this. However he does that, his, his ultimate desire is that we would be on his mission. It's not a missionary is not a subset of, of Christians that go to a foreign land or do a certain work. I really do believe it's part of our transformed, renewed identity because he's a missionary God. We're created in his image. That makes us missionary people if we're in Christ. So. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I appreciate you sharing that. And let me ask you this, because all the stuff that you just described, you know, like you mentioned, there's a lot of stuff that is very different from the traditional church. And I'm sure that we have many pastors who are coming from a traditional churches that are listening to this. And either it could be creating some tension right now, or they could be creating some curiosity. But how would you approach somebody who's sitting in maybe a small 200 member traditional church and say, how could they make the transition from thinking about, you know, I mean, church growth and the the idea of inviting people to an event and to a building to being more missional. What are some things that they could do to start moving in that direction that would make sense? First off, I just want to say it's not an either or. It's not, a, I'm, yeah. not I'm not, I really am not trying to set up a, a, a false, you know, like dichotomy or, you know, polemic. Okay. So it's not an either or. I, yeah, I really, a good point. I love, I love the bride in every form. I, anytime anybody's going to gather up people and proclaim the good news of Christ, I'm all for it. Okay. Amen, yeah. So, so I don't want anybody to hear that. Okay. But, but there again, I don't, I don't think, and I don't, I don't think this is poking anybody in the eye. I don't think that as the church, capital C, and that includes me, right? I don't think we've, we've necessarily done a killer job of making disciples and making that the focal point. 
in the last hundred years or so. Yeah. So as a church is faithful to God's call on their life and in their community and feeding the saints and all that, the, I think the, the first steps towards living a more missional life and calling their people to that, first off is those leaders have to begin to model that. They have to believe that their identity in Christ as a family of missionary servants starts with them. You know, think if you're an elder or a pastor, some people believe those are the same words synonymous in scripture, um, either or. And the mission of God has always been, the eternal mission has been that people would be transformed and renewed and restored in Christ to fill the world with God's glory. Then the center focus of your church would have to be disciple making. And I think for a pastor of any size church, uh, an elder board, a team of pastors in any size church, step one would be to believe the truth that if we're in Christ, we're all missionaries and that the mission is make disciples. And then for them to be willing to unload some of the, the activity in their cart to be able to reorient their own lives and the lives of their wife and their kids, if they have them, around making disciples locally. It, it was always a surprising thing to me, and I would fall into this camp, I'm sure, part of my, some part of my life, how many people would go and do outreaches, either local, citywide, or even international, go on short-term mission trips, and if you ask them, tell me the names of like five of your neighbors. How many of them have you actually had to, into your home for meals, proclaim the good news, both in word and deed? Almost none. Yeah. Yet we're sending them overseas, or we're getting the matching t-shirts with the church logo, and we're sending them out. So I, I really think in everything, it starts with leadership, and the leaders themselves possibly needing to start with repentance, meaning I'm, mm -hmm. I'm believing something new, and I'm going to start now living in light of that, and then beginning to model that lifestyle within their own family and life so that the illustrations in their sermons change. Uh, their proclaiming of our gospel identity, which changes our motivations, radically changes. Um, what I don't suggest is that we start lots of new, quote, missional programming that becomes a new law and just a new set of containers. Well, we're going to call small groups missional communities now. And every missional community slash small group, whatever you want to call it, has to go out and do a service project once a month now or once a quarter. Well, those are good things, but the mission of God isn't to paint a fence or a park bench or clean up a pile of garbage. That's all gold. That's all being a servant. Mm. That's all displaying the restoration of all things. But the mission still remains make disciples. And so you can't make disciples of a park bench or, you know, <laughs> or swing set or whatever, right? So good on you to do those things. Those do transform our own hearts. But we do have to get down to the actual work of making disciples, calling people to walk in the ways of Christ so they'll come to know truth, and that truth begins to set them free in every area of life. By the way, Brian, here's a working definition of discipleship, okay, that we use that has really helped us get, get our head our hands around. Discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in absolutely every area of life. Hmm. Okay, let me say it again, and I'll fill it out a little bit. Discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief, in other words, I, you know, I'm not believing what's true about God and what's true about me in all kinds of areas, my sinfulness, my finances, my marriage, whatever, moving from unbelief to belief in who God is and what he's done in and through Christ and what's true of me now, moving from unbelief to belief in absolutely every area of life. And I think for many of us, our faith, our move from unbelief to belief may have started with a, an atonement issue belief that changed. You know, that yeah. I finally got to the point of believing I am a sinner that has, I'm deserving of death. I've earned that and I can't save myself. God alone can. And they make that move of unbelief to belief. But what about the other 
dozens or hundreds or millions of areas of their life that aren't perfectly conformed to Christ yet. Well, they're all connected to unbelief, right? Very true. 5% of the church regular attenders tithe, according to statistics, which means that 95% of the family of God who claim Christ aren't living in belief of his generosity and and the fact that he owns it all and that we're co-heirs of it, or they would live generously. Definitely. So they haven't made that click from unbelief to belief yet. Now, I'm, you know, I'm picking a sore spot there, you know, <laughs> amongst church leaders. But if you hung out with me, Brian, and my wife in our, in our, in our household and with our community for a week or two, you'd, you'd see some beautiful stuff going on. But you'd also see some stuff about Caesar. You go, not exactly like Jesus, man. Like when you said that or the way that attitude thing right there, man, that wasn't Jesus-like in the moment, you know. That's still connected to unbelief. And it might be the unbelief that God's great. And so I don't have to be in control, but in the moment I tried to control your opinion of me or I tried to control my kids or I tried to control what the neighbor thought of our meal tonight. Yeah. And, and that's unbelief and that's sinfulness. It really is. And so it shows up in small and in big ways. Discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in that area and every area, in my marriage, my finances, my entertainment, what I do with my spare time. Is it my time ever at all or is it all God's time? That's a great, yeah. No, I think you know, are, all of that, right? Totally. Because I think, I think most of us, unfortunately, we really do live the American dream life with a little bit of church and mission activity, ministry kind of wedged in when it fits. And we all gauge that a little differently, how much we should do and, you know, all that. But isn't that kind of backwards? I mean, isn't it, if our life has truly been bought at this great price— and we were actually created to be on God's mission. Wouldn't it be like we're racking our brain and trying to figure out how to fit in work? <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Or fit in vacations that don't include taking not yet believers or, or whatever, you know? But we kind of, we're allowed to and we're promoted even in some cases. We're sort of living the American dream life, waiting for heaven, try to sin less and less in between now and then. And if you're going to church and tithing, man, and help, helping with some of the programming, then that, you, man, you're there. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, the, and most Christians have never made a disciple. You know, Most have never been discipled, I fear. Yeah. I think that's uh, a bigger part of the issue, too, that it's hard to do something you've never been shown how to do. Wow. For sure. Yeah. Hey, l- let me ask you, is, ask you this, too, Caesar. Like, for you personally, like, all of these things about, like, putting every area of your life under the Lordship of Christ, you mean, and under His reign and rule like was there a time like i guess all the stuff that you just mentioned was there a time that you would say hey this was where the light bulb really went on for me or would it be kind of the transition over a long period of time from your work you know i mean in international missions to you know i mean starting soma and some other things or i'd love to just know if there's like a a couple real big light bulb moments that hit you Millions of them, I think, Brian. Yeah. You know, and, and, and boy, oh boy. Let's just I, go through I, each I, one then. I'm just yeah, I, I wouldn't hold myself up as this poster child of, you know, <laughs> every single area of life completely submitted to the Lordship. I mean, I, golly, I, I really believe God's in process. And I think my wife, who I've been with since I was 16, you know, I think she would attest that this is a very, very different man these days but by, by God's grace. Along, the, along this journey where God was trying to and was getting my attention about being the church versus just going to church or running the church. You know what I mean? There was an identity issue. Um, A couple things he was doing. One is he had me reading the book of Acts over and over. Whenever I was out of the country, it became almost like a tradition or a ritual. If you're on the road, you read the book of Acts. And so I was reading it several times a year in a context that made it come to life in some very visceral ways, but also through some contrasts in my path, okay? Yeah. For my own life first, and then also in the ways that we were leading and forming others. 
I was also reading some pretty heavy stuff. Um, like Andrew Murray's my favorite author. Okay. Gotcha. And I was reading him and some of his contemporaries, and I was being blown away by how how much joy they had, which mirrored the joy of these persecuted saints I was spending time with, hmm. and how s- submitted and committed as a lifestyle to Christ and His kingdom and His kingdom work they were. And, and yet I felt very, very busy running programs and programming, right? And so what happened was, is, you know, God's goodness is, as we began to be story formed, I would say the biggest thing that changed is that I got introduced to the Bible as story. Hmm. And if, if, you got, if anybody's followed me or seen any of my stuff or been to my site ever, there's a lot about the story of God and story sets you can use in training in the story formed way. And we have now started so many missional communities and church plants using the story, using the story of God to both form us as saints, but also introduce the word of God and who he is from Genesis to Revelation in a very natural way to our not yet believing friends and neighbors. That has continued to shape my understanding of why my actual sanctification, my discipleship, my becoming more like Christ, moving from unbelief to belief in every area, has to happen in community. Yeah. I, I realized, I began to realize that exactly as Christ modeled it and commanded it, that my own sanctification, if I was truly going to bring things, every little area of my life, increasingly under the Lordship of Christ, um, I love me too much. I'm too self-deluded. I'm a real good debater. If it wasn't in community, it wasn't going to happen. Hmm. I, I needed saints. I needed younger and older brothers and sisters to remind me of the good news in every year of my life and call me back to live in light of what I say I believe. Awesome. I really do. Yeah. And I still need it to this day. I, it, it's a mystery to me how anybody stays married outside of Christ and outside of actual community that gets to kind of call them on their stuff and also add a boy them when they're submitted and in faith, living it out when it's hard. I need all of that. Yeah. I really, really do. And traveling as much as I do, I have seasons of like, I get lots of it. I get seasons of like, whoa, man, my wife and I are kind of alone for the last few weeks or months because we've been traveling so much. Um, man, oh man, we have to be intentional about staying in community, staying committed and submitted yeah. to others in our life. And, and I know like there's a lot of pastors here in this. Um, I'm not lo- right now. I'm not a localized pastor. I'm not quote pastoring. I'm I'm much more traveling and helping train and set things up and start more of a spiritual entrepreneur. You know, um, right now. But I understand this. You get to a certain level of of responsibility or how people view you, and it can seem very hard to stay in a, in, in normal community and submitted and committed. But I'll tell you, there's nothing more beautiful when quote unquote mature saints or senior leaders live in normal community and submit as a saint, as a brother or sister, mm. just like everyone else. Now, at first, people won't believe it. They'll be a little afraid of you. <laughs> you know what I mean? They'll be a little afraid to approach you and go, hey, you know, your poop stinks too, you know? Like, right? But as you submit to that kind of stuff and they realize they have the permission that, sure, your role within the family might be different. Yeah. You may have been given different responsibilities because of the giftings God's poured into you to speak or train or lead or whatever. But at the foot of the cross, we're the same. And so, brother, I need you. And I need your young faith. And I need your mature faith. And I need you looking and watching after me in my heart. And I'm going to do the same. And we're going to live in covenant that way. Oh, man, that's the stuff right there. And that's the thing that's so attractive to the not yet believing world because they see this and they go like, no, that's very different than a set of rules and and a bunch of attendance requirements. Big time. These people are living like a family and submitted to one another and paying each other's bills and they laugh and they cry and they fight and they forgive. And yet it's beautiful and simple. And and there's a place at the table. Yeah, man. You know. 
Love it. Love it. And let me think through this too a little bit. I'd love to ask you this question as far as like leadership burnout goes and maybe the contrast because you've been kind of in both worlds from more of a traditional church that would be kind of focused on what we would call quote unquote church growth to a missional community. Do you think that there is more leadership burnout connected to kind of that mentality we mentioned before that's that's more caught up in a program-centered type drive for a, a senior leader? Well, is there more? Well, I guess statistically you'd have to say yeah because there's more like more traditional Sunday-focused, large event-driven churches or even medium-small, you know what I mean, but event-driven. Yeah. There's more of those than there are missional-centered churches at this point. So yeah, okay, so technically... Yeah, the we're talking numbers, be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like let's just put it on the curve. Um, I would say, yeah, here's why. When what we're measuring is always up and to the right in that sense, and it's something that's out of our control, that's a treadmill that's pretty tough, right? And I know a lot of my brothers and sisters live on that treadmill. I used to. You know, you're, you're always trying to move attendance numbers and budgets and building size and programming and all that stuff up and to the right on the graph. And a lot of that stuff we're not even called to. Like, you know, you just can't see Jesus calling us to measure that kind of stuff. I wrote a blog post a couple of weeks ago that, kind of kind of blew up a little bit of people looking at the you know new measurements of success and how Jesus would be measured on the current ones you know, like he, yeah. you know he wouldn't he wouldn't do very well you know unfortunately. yeah and we'll link to that one in the show notes as well too so people yeah. can watch it um but here here's what i know that living god's call to be a family of missionary servants that are sent to make disciples right in the power of the holy spirit which is the power that raised christ from the dead wow that's powerful that now dwells in us, will never burn us out. Hmm. But chasing after stuff and numbers and metrics in the flesh, right or wrong ones, will always lead to that, right? I think it was Isaiah that said that even our righteous acts done apart from faith, which another word for faith is belief, right? So moving yeah. from unbelief to belief in every area, are, are filthy rags. And I'm, I'm not going to do a little sermon out on what that means, but it's as nasty as you could you know, come yeah. up with in those days, maybe still. And I don't want to live my life. I don't want any of your listeners, any of my brothers and sisters who are in ministry full time or lady or whatever. I don't want them doing their very, very best efforts in the flesh. And it's all filthy rags when they when it's all counted. Yeah. You know, and and what I what I've seen in my own life. So I'll just speak to that is that I've never had a more immersed in true ministry life than when we started living missionally and living in community like it's. It's all day because it's it's who we are. It's an identity thing, but it's done in increasingly, hopefully, in the power of the spirit and in the guidance of the spirit, which gives you freedom to rest and get away and you know and all that. I've never worked more harder and been more involved and immersed, but I've never felt more freedom and peace and mm. seen more fruit in ministry than when I was crazy busy running programming and someone was kind of had a stick behind me. It was always, could we do more next time? Could yeah. we, you know, how about next week, next Easter, next, you know, whatever. And um, the power that raised Christ from the dead is some pretty powerful stuff. Hmm. And it now dwells in us. And, and I think when we're tapping into that for both where to go and what to do and for the source to do it, man, that's a big deal. <laughs> that's for a sure. very big deal. And I, and I think too, there again, in community, you're kind of spreading your burden load out. See, the thing is, we we often have these roles and paid staff roles and you know or titles that increase a role, and that sits right on me, right on my shoulders. Oh yeah. Ministry of making disciples that requires a community automatically means it's spread out across the community because 
here's something that's a truth, right, that we don't often think about. You can't make disciples one-on-one and alone. You can't make a mature disciple one-to-one alone. I'm not saying you'll never have one-to-one times with a disciple, but the goal of making a disciple is that they would be conformed to Christ, not to Caesar or Brian. Yeah. And so if I'm just going to spend three years with somebody, like just, you know, meeting with them weekly or monthly or daily for whatever, let's say I'm really rock star disciple, (laughs) they're going to most resemble me over time. And that might be an upgrade spiritually, you know, as they're maturing, right, and learning some things. Sure. But the goal isn't to make disciples of me. It's to make disciples of Christ. And so it's very clear in Scripture that we are his body together, and we're all a different piece, and we've all been given different graces that make up the fullness of Christ. Yeah. That's how a person comes to maturity, is in a community with all the body parts sort of touching and being used and growing in maturity. And so if you want to see a mature disciple, you'll see one that was raised was apprenticed, was discipled in community where all the different body parts and maturities and wisdom comes to bear versus just a curriculum with one smart you know, woman or a smart guy. Yeah. And now I guess you're discipled. You did it. You did the nine weeks. You did the 12 weeks. And now you're discipled. Now go find somebody and take them through the same stuff. Wow, man. But life on life, like I get to see, are you actually living this stuff? Or did you just memorize a bunch of it? Or you answered correctly? So I go, smart guy, smart gal. You know? <laughs> Big difference. For sure. Yeah. Let me ask you this. If, if you, if God called you today to a church of like uh, four or 500, that was again, kind of a big church, big event type church. And what kind of things would you spend doing your first year there? Like what, what would it look like for you? I'll give you two simple, simple things. Okay. That, that literally come to mind right away. And they, they do often when someone asks me a similar question, I would begin to teach the story of God. I really would. I begin to teach the whole story as a story. It, it's it's transformational. I've I've been privileged to teach the story of God hundreds and hundreds of times all over the world. I do it all the time, big and small groups, in communities, full staffs. I mean, all of it. It's so transformational. The response consistently every time is like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe what I didn't know. <laughs> and yeah. I've been in the church forever, you know, seminary degrees, whatever, doctorates. And I can't believe how much bigger and how much simpler this is than I ever thought it was. What are we doing? What, what are, why are we complicating this so much? It's so big and yet so simple. I would begin to live in story. I would, I really would. That, like I said, that was one of the transformational, pivotal things for me. I would begin to do that. And, yeah. and partly because I've seen the effect of it. When we, when we started Soma in Tacoma, we began, boom, start tell the story in every community since and all, you know, every, yeah. So, to, to, so dig, to dig a little deeper in that too, do you have like, because um, when people say when they start with story, they could mean a lot of different things, like starting from, Genesis or starting more topical? Are there any, not that it well, has like, to be because it's I'm different for everybody. Specifically the story sets that we've created over time that really kind of teach the whole redemptive arc, but it's dialogical. So they ask questions to help unpack God's heart in your own and you begin to find yourself in the story. So it's not Q&A. It's not like fill in the blank for God. Yeah. So, you know, we read John three sixteen, and then for God so loved the blank, you know, it's like, that's well, how we do Bible study. It's like, yeah. no, no, this is different. This is narrative. You find yourself in it and it's dialogical. It's dialogue within the community and all that stuff's available by, by the way, on my website for free. You can download it all. There's training, uh, there's story sets, there's story of God for kids. There's all kinds if you go to CaesarKalinowski.com and just dig around, go to resources, story of God, it's, it's not hard to find. Yeah, we'll link that um, again in the show notes so people can easily find it. The other thing I would do, so I'd get into story right away. The other thing I'd do if I had the authority and, and the, the, the church would follow me in this, is I would suggest strongly, hey, here's what we're going to do for the next six weeks. Every 
family unit or person, you know, family unit, we use that term. So if it's a husband and wife or whatever, or you're a couple, or if it's just, you know, single guy, whatever, everybody's going to have one meal a week with a not yet believing friend or couple. No huge agenda, but we're going to do it for six weeks, have six different people over, one not yet believing friend or a couple over our house, have a meal with no agenda other than to bless the heck out of them and live as good news. And then on Sunday, we're going to report back what we're noticing, what hmm. we're learning, what was scary, what was awesome, what did God do when I wasn't even stressing or trying to you know, push things, you know, close the deal or do anything. And I think if a whole church, be it 100 people or you know, 5,000 people, if everybody in the community just had one out of 21 meals a week with a not yet believer and then shared what they were learning, I think not only the evangelistic fruit would go through the roof, Oh, yeah. But I think their need to be developed, their hunger for training and equipping to go, man, I'm not that gospel fluent. I don't really know how to proclaim it that much, you know? Like, I, I think it would go through the roof. And the hunger to be with people but be equipped to know how to disciple them would go through the roof. And, and as simple as that. We're already eating those meals. No one has to add a darn thing to their schedule. Just pick one and ask God, who should I invite? Just ask God. Don't even pick it yourself. Just go, Holy Spirit power of God, you know, like who should we have over this week? And I'd make it real easy. I'd just pick the same night a week or the same morning every week for breakfast, maybe do a Saturday morning brunch. Or, I mean, whatever, make it super easy on your own family and on your own schedule. You're already eating. Just pick one. Yeah. Do it for six weeks, but report back, have a little time during the service to have, you know, a half dozen people up and go, here's, here's what happened. <laughs> and here's why we suck or here's why it was awesome and God's amazing, you know, and here's what we learned or here's what we were afraid of and guess what God showed us and I think it'd be nuts, man. It'd be yeah. low-hanging fruit. I really do. I love that. No, I know both if anybody those. takes that challenge from me, please write me and let me know how that goes. <laughs> you know? I love that. Well, and again, like we have so many churches that will, and pastors who are listening to this and I think through if, if, I mean, a small percentage of those churches challenge their people to do that and they did it themselves. Um, the results on that would be awesome. And so I would say, we'll keep this open, but I would love to hear, I mean, stories. And obviously you can connect with Caesar, but also, you know, write comments, you know, on this podcast as well as it goes on yeah. and we share it in the next few months. So love that. Very practical and powerful. So I appreciate you sharing those, those tips. Too. I don't think that's heavy lifting, you know, like, well, our church is this denomination or our church is more liturgical or we have a real old crowd or we have a really young crowd. Hey, everybody's eating 21 meals a week, roughly, you know, <laughs> I'm pretty springy. I probably eat a few more than that, you know, <laughs> calorie burn. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like, totally. And I'm not saying it has to be this big thing. It's like, however you eat, just eat one meal a week. Now, I'd love to see people grow that to three. If you had three meals a week, so you plan on lunch at work with somebody, you know, you planned a dinner with your family and maybe like a coffee or a dessert time or some, a time with some guys in the need. It just, if you actually did three, so more like a tie the week, you'd be so full of people and people of peace that were wanting to be discipled in your life. It'd be nuts. I mean, and, and then you'll need some equipping and training and we can help you with that. Yes. But, but to get to desire and to see how faithful the father is to bring the right people and how willing and open they are. See, this is the thing yeah. I don't think we believe, Brian, is that God is way ahead of us in this and that there are people in our neighborhoods and in our comings and goings and our cafes and our pubs and in our gym and where our kids play soccer and all that, that God's just been waiting for his family to show up and be open to him using them for. And, and as we've done this all over the world, and, and we, we were in Manhattan for a couple of years and it was exactly the same thing, and just this last weekend we moved the next town over and we're in a new, brand new neighborhood. 
I am excited because I'm watching people and they're walking past my window and they're bringing gifts over to inviting us and, and they're saying, we like to party and I hope you guys do. This is a great neighborhood. And we're like, oh, baby, you don't even know. <laughs> you know. And, and I think God's been at work already for a long time. Wow. And now he's moved us here and we're like, thanks, Dad. This is so awesome. What am I going to do? I'm going to invite some folks over for, for a party and for a meal. And we're just we're going to take it a step at a time. And then I'm going to invite them to do the story of God with me. That'll be one of the first couple things we do. Maybe there'll be two people. Maybe there'll be eight. Maybe there'll be ten. I don't know. You know, and I, I don't even care. Dad knows. <laughs> Dad knows. And we'll say, great. That's, we'll do it with whoever he brings. Love it. No, that's great stuff. And I, I appreciate you sharing that for sure. And I, I kind of want to wrap up and just ask you um, – uh, two quick questions. I mean, one, and it could be tied into things we've already discussed, but as a leader, are there maybe one or two habits during the week that you think are really important to you? And they don't have to be big universal things, but just things that during the week that really kind of give you life and are really important for you as a, a leader. Well, um, obviously being in the word, you know, it's like, golly, it's the source of life. Um, myself and, and the tribe that I run with, um, some of our friends in 3DM and Tom and different people, a whole bunch of us sort of follow Moravian text. And we're sort of studying the same parts of Scripture as we kind of read through Scripture and, 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 and do that daily. And there's days I'll miss it, you know, like everybody. There'll be days I miss it. Um, I actually find that now that I'm not having to do like kind of weekly sermon prep, I'm actually in the Word for my own heart and for God to speak to me more than, you know, ever, <laughs> which is great. So that's obviously that. Um, I, I think uh, the book by... Uh, I think it's Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence of God. It's such a wonderful thing that's helped me transform my prayer life from a set-aside time alone, those are great, to a, a much more moment-by-moment -moment prayer life where I, f I really do feel like I'm in conversation with Dad and that Jesus says, I will never leave you and forsake you. I really do believe that and feel that. Hmm. And so uh, certainly I forget and I get in the flesh and I start throwing my shoulder with Caesar's wisdom and Caesar's strength behind it without checking in. But increasingly, that's what that brings me life is knowing I really do sense his presence. And that book's been a really, it's a little thin read if you've never read it. You know, it's like 600 years old or something. That's Practicing great. Practicing the presence of God. It's so great. And it, it really does help, has helped me in my life and a lot of people I've discipled move from prayers event only, which is great. It's great to set aside that time and yeah. start the day or end the day, both hands. But, but a really a moment by moment sort of living, breathing conversation with dad and with our brother and Lord Jesus is crazy. And so I, I, I do strive for that. I do, I do shoot for that, name for that. And uh, sort of trying to be listening to you, Brian, with one ear and listen to the spirit, you know, in the other. Like, so what am, how am I supposed to answer this, you know, Lord? I love I, it, yeah. So those things bring me life. And then just time and community, our oikos, that, that extended family that we do life with. It includes my kids. It includes friends. Um, there again, I need that. I need that. And I need it daily. I'm not saying I see people in my community every single day, but I need to. <laughs> and and you know what's really increased a lot of it is video. I'm like we're on Skype right now. Sometimes I've got brothers and sisters that I'm accountable to that actually don't live here, but I see them via video. Yeah. Once once a week or twice a week. And we have times where we go like, "All right, let's go after it," you know? And uh, I'm grateful for technology. And when I was living in Manhattan, a lot of our uh, we had to try to think of of more asynchronous forms of accountability and discipleship because people were crazy busy. And so we'd say, well, can you meet at 10 at night? Yeah, but I can't be in your neighborhood at 10 and I, you can't be in mine. So, well, let's get online and we'll use a tool, you know? Definitely. And so, but community, wow, however you, you gotta get it, you gotta, yeah, I need the accountability and that does bring me life. And you know, and it, it feels like safety. 
Like, I, you know, I wake up a lot of days going like, man, are you selfish? And why, why was that the focus of your dream last night? Or, huh. you know, yesterday you worked all day and barely talked to dad about this, even though it's, quote, ministry. Who are you? You know, and I start feeling like, man, you really need a savior. <laughs> and but when I know that, when I know, though, that I have regular community life and people watching my heart and checking in who have permission to ask me questions and they observe my life in marriage, I feel somehow safer, you know. And sure, I can kind of BS my way around a lot of it, like we all can. Yeah. But I, do, I feel protected by the body when I submit to the body. And I'm not talking just by sitting in rows and hearing a sermon. I'm talking life on life, life in community, life on mission. And um, yeah, Love man, that, that's the stuff right there. Love <laughs> it. Hey, Caesar, I totally appreciate the time you've spent with us. And uh, and again, like I would just encourage any listeners, if they're more you know curious about this or want to get resources to, to hit those links in the show note to Caesar's site. And I would love for you just to wrap up and pray for our listeners and our leaders that God would use them. And uh, if you would, that'd be great. I would be happy to, Brian. Thanks. Father God, you are so good to us. You are great. And you've not changed the plan for your family, the church, ever. And you've always planned, and it's been your desire to fill the world with your glory. And you were going to do that through your son, through your son, Jesus. So, Lord, would would we believe the truth? Would we believe that the, the mission that you've sent us on, your glorious mission, the one we were created and then recreated in Christ to do, is to make disciples? Or for many of us, we've known that, but we've made it an add-on because we're so busy with our Sunday or our program or whatever little slot we've been given. And Lord, we're grateful for all that we get to do in your kingdom and in your family. But Lord, I pray for a renewed sense of, of belief that discipleship is the mission and that Lord, as we trust you for who to disciple and how to disciple in community, that, that you're going to do great things, that the pressure's off, that your spirit is the primary discipler of our hearts and others in community. And I pray we'd really believe that, Lord, that we wouldn't beat ourselves up if our focus has not been. Let us not make discipleship the new program or the new emphasis or the new series, but let it be a true lifestyle for us, Lord. Let, let us live radically oriented around the things that captured your heart from the beginning, and that's filling the world with, with your son, with Jesus and your glory. So it's because of Jesus we get to pray these things today, Father. Amen. Thanks again to Caesar Kalinowski for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and consider sending this episode to someone you know who might be blessed by its message. Also, make sure to download the show notes for this episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. In the show notes, we always include resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guests' top content on churchleaders.com. As always, if you have ideas on how we can improve this podcast or guests that you'd love to hear us talk to, you can email me directly at podcast at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.